In this week's In-Ear Insights, we're talking about the fundamentals of this mysterious buzzword, and it really is a buzzword, called Web3, which incorporates things like blockchain, cryptocurrencies, creator coins, NFTs, all these fancy buzzword terms. So, Katie, to start off, when you have this lovely buffet of, of buzzwords that come across as almost cult-like, uh, what's your take on it all? Well, I mean, it's my first question is always, why should I care about this thing? And then my second question is, why as a business owner slash marketer, should I care about this thing? And I have yet to see, I have yet to get a good answer to that question. Um, you know, when I see terms like Web3, you know, my, you know, very ignorant understanding i'm like so www and someone got lazy like it's it <laughs> it hasn't been described to me in such a way that i've figured out why i should care about any of it yet and i guess that's the purpose of today's episode is to help answer those questions of why should you as a consumer and why should you as a marketer care about any of these things um i know the basics of what an nft is um and i think it's silly and I know the basics of what blockchain is, and I think it's silly. Um, and my very high level understanding of cryptocurrency is that it's basically just, you know, a fancier wire transfer. So that's sort of where I'm at with it. I'm guessing I, there's a lot I don't know, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not knowing until someone can convince me I need to know this thing. So convince me, Chris. I'm not going to be able to convince you. I can tell you that up front. <laughs> uh, let's, let's, let's dig through the history first. So Web 1.0 was literally the World Wide Web. The first HTML pages, we're talking mid to late 90s, right? Web 2.0, uh, really it was the dawn of the social media age. And that is when you start having really big tech companies come up and sort of centralize the internet experience. Google, Facebook, Twitter, and so on and so forth. So these really big tech companies powered by really big ad tech and the revenue model was we show ads we make and you make money from ads uh, is how they make their money and then for us as businesses we got access to data and to advertising tools that allowed us to scale uh, a little more efficiently rather than you know punch the monkey banner ads which was the all the rage in the early 2000s so that was web 2.0 web 3.0 in theory is based on the idea that your transaction systems now move to the blockchain. And instead of having a few big companies um, collecting money for everything, for all, essentially for managing all content, you have the ability for people to issue assets of their own using this decentralized transaction system and, and sort of cut out the big tech company as the broker. So if I create an ebook, Instead of just um, trying to run ads to get attention to that ebook, if I have my own audience, I can use this system to sell essentially licensed copies of it, and then people can theoretically uh, trade it like baseball cards. So that's the general idea. It is all based on blockchain technology, which the easiest way to explain it is if you think about a Google Sheet or any spreadsheet, and 
you think about a spreadsheet everybody shares and anytime one person makes a change to the spreadsheet we all have to agree that that change is okay that, that you know the transaction actually happened and then that cell of that spreadsheet is locked it says this transaction has happened the idea being instead of needing a big financial institution to essentially do the accounting, you have this technology, this encryption that as long as everybody's running on the same platform, you are doing your accounting in public really is, is what it boils down to. So that's kind of the, the general premise. Why do we care about this? The most practical applications of blockchain technology are around things where a public audit trail is a good idea. Uh, one of the use cases that I thought was actually really good was from, you know, unsurprisingly, IBM, uh, who said that having sensors, for example, on a shipping container that transmit their sensor data to a blockchain that everybody can see, uh, everybody involved in the transaction can see, uh, means that when that container arrives in port, everybody can look at the audit log and agree, yes, this container was exposed to temperatures outside of the contract. Uh, you know, the contract says you had to keep it below, you know, 92 degrees Fahrenheit. Otherwise, you know, the constant would, would be damaged. This container sensor says it was 108 degrees. The shipping company and the, the receiver then have a trail of evidence. So the shipping company can't say, oh, no, 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 we, we had it you know, refrigerated the whole time. It, it wasn't in breach of contract. When you look at the blockchain record, you go, well, on this date, at this date, at this date, there are entries that say the temperature reached 108, you know, 17, and so on and so forth. So we're not going to accept this container, and you have to you have to eat the cost of it. That's one of the more practical examples I've seen where this public encrypted spreadsheet essentially uh, might have some practical use. I'm getting very vivid flashbacks to you know being in college and trying to show up for like an 8 a.m. math class and having that struggle <clears> to like stay focused and pay attention and not let your brain wander off because it's not <laughs> you personally, Chris, but as you're describing this, I'm like, okay, so web three is literally a version number <clears throat> of the web. Got it. So could have just said that, not you just, you know, in general. And then blockchain is literally trying to get a whole bunch of disjointed people to agree on one single thing. And when they do, one tiny little speck of data changes amongst a whole large set of data. Okay, cool. I still don't know why I need to care. So let me ask you this question, Chris. As a consumer, as a regular, forget about the business, forget about anything like that. As a regular person going about my everyday life, you know, going to the grocery store, doing online banking, you know, walking my dog, is any of this relevant to me? Today, no. Absolutely okay. not. Has no relevance today whatsoever. Here's the theoretical, and this is pure theory. If blockchains as a technology became widely adopted, when you went to the grocery store, instead of there being a bank brokering the transaction or transferring money from your account to somebody else's account, if you are both on the same general blockchain system, you the, the grocery store could accept your payment directly. Uh, it wouldn't need a bank. It wouldn't need Visa. It wouldn't need any of these intermediaries uh, to, to do the transaction. The money could just go from your account straight to the 
grocery store account and there'd be no middleman taking a slice. That's the theoretical outcome. Um, and the it's funny that nobody ever mentions this, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of almost going back to Web 1.0 and email, right? There is no central controlling authority for email like there is for Facebook, for example. Facebook has a central controlling authority and, and it, uh, there's there's censorship and there's all this other stuff, right? When you sign up for email, particularly if you are a, you know, a technologically savvy company, you put your email server on the internet, you add your DNS records, and you're good to go. And now you can email somebody else and somebody else can email you. Now, for example, Trust Insights, we host our email through Google. But we don't have to. We could host it through Linode, our one of, disclosure, one of our clients. We could host it on a box that I put, you know, plugged into my router in my basement. And in that respect, it is very much a decentralized system. You, if, say, the United Nations uh, uh, sanctioned Facebook out of existence, I'm making, just making this up. Everybody's Facebook page is gone like that. No one can sanction email out of existence. That's one of the reasons why it's lasted for 30 years and has never gone away, even though every two years somebody says email is dead um, because it is this decentralized system. And so the, where these blockchain slash you know, Web3 folks are trying to go is replicate other systems of transactions to function like email. But the reason why you need all this encryption and fancy stuff is because obviously if money is changing hands you need to have some authentication mechanisms built on top of that. But it sounds like what you're saying is that as an everyday consumer, the only thing that would really change for me is I would just sign up maybe for a different quote unquote bank versus the bank that I have now. And I wouldn't necessarily use a physical card. I might just scan something from my phone which is kind of how a lot of banking works today. Anyway, a lot of people do the touchless banking. And so while all of this technology is being built in the background, as the everyday consumer, I may not really see a change to my user experience other than, you know, I'm switching from Hotmail to Gmail kind of a th as an, as an exactly. analogy. Okay. Exactly. And that is one of the biggest credible critiques of this whole web 3.0 thing, which is there's nothing in it that is so revolutionary that you can't do the exact same things today, right? You, yes, you absolutely could, for example, set up your own node on say uh, Dezo or BitCloud or any of these other uh, services. Uh, you could have set up your own Ethereum mining for gas, you know, for gas fees and all this stuff. All that's doing is changing who the middleman is. Mm -hmm. Right. When you look at Coinbase, for example, in, you know, in the, uh, the Bitcoin market or OpenSea in the NFT market, it's no different than working with Christie's at you know, the auction house. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just a differently named one with a different transaction system, but it's not better. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it doesn't make things easier for the consumer. In fact, for the consumer, it's a hell of a lot harder to use these technologies because you have to jump through all these hoops to get involved in the space in order to be able to make use of it. Today, if you want to buy something at the grocery store, you take out the little piece of plastic, you stick it in the machine, and the existing infrastructure handles it. Mm -hmm. If you were to do, assuming, let's say, like, you know, Trader Joe's accepted Bitcoin as, a, as, a, as an example. Today, you would have to take your existing money, find a broker 
transform that into Bitcoin, which is essentially like transforming it into like rubles. Uh, well, that's a bad example because the ruble is not worth anything anymore. Um, euros. <clears throat> and then pay with a card that has, uses euros, essentially, to, to make the same transaction. It's an extra step. And the thing that we've learned about e-commerce over the last 20 years is fewer steps means bigger purchases, more mm -hmm. purchases from consumers. This ecosystem right now has so many more steps that for the average consumer, it's not worth it. Well, it sounds like it's also not accessible. And so, you know, the thing that I've, you know, so I do pay attention to these things. I always just try to think about it from sort of the, for lack of a better term, the every man, like, is this accessible to every man? The answer right now is no. Uh, at least I, from where I sit, it doesn't seem like it because there first needs to be a level of understanding and then there needs to be a level of accessibility to the technology. And I feel like those two things are not accessible to everyone from every economic status. And that to me is problematic. I mean, just money in general, jobs in general, has been always problematic when you have these different classes of wealth. I don't see this solving that problem. And I don't know that it's meant to, but what I'm seeing is it's adding an extra layer of complication on top of it because you almost kind of have to be on the inside crowd, be in the club in order to participate in it in the first place, which means that it's not accessible to the majority of people in the world. Is that correct? If cryptocurrencies in particular were national economies they would have like this i believe it was uh, a recent report said they have either the second or third highest income inequality of any economy on the planet <clears throat> um there is absolutely a substantial problem uh in that it is the the best way to explain the economics behind a lot of stuff is is actually what true capitalism looks like where a couple of people get very very rich and everybody else is poor that's the outcome of what uh, true capitalism looks like with no regulation, no restrictions, no oversight whatsoever. Um, there's, for example, one of the mechanisms, the natures of the blockchain technology is that you can't claw back a transaction. So like if I go on eBay and I sell something fraudulently, right? Mm -hmm. You can file a, a complaint with eBay, right? And if the eBay views that that was a, a valid complaint, they will reverse the transaction, say, nope, you know, I, I, sold, I sold fraudulent goods. With blockchain, you can't do that, right? Because that once that spreadsheet cell is locked, it can never be unlocked. You cannot go back in time. You cannot reverse it. Theoretically, you could reverse that. You could um, sue the person in court to have them give you the money, but you cannot with you cannot undo the transaction because of the nature of the blockchain. It is a permanent entry in the ledger, and there is no reversing it. So. There is a, there are some very substantial issues that all this has to be worked out before it's even safe for consumers to use. So let's go back to the fundamentals of Web3, because I'll be honest, I already forgot what you said Web3 was. So let's talk <laughs> about that again. So it's it's built on, everything is built on the blockchain. That's the important the part. It's all okay. built on this this public encrypted spreadsheet technology. Okay. Um, there are currencies on it right you've mm -hmm. heard of bitcoin and ethereum and various altcoins and stuff which is financial transactions on that encrypted spreadsheet okay right and then there are things like uh nfts non-fungible tokens which are essentially contracts uh 
license, software licenses on an encrypted spreadsheet. Uh, the easiest way to explain that is if you're familiar with when you open up and install a new piece of software, you get this big, long notice on screen says, you know, here's your end user license agreement that essentially says you don't own this software. When you install Microsoft Word, you don't own it. You would get a license from Microsoft to use it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then Microsoft at any point can revoke your license and, and make word evaporate off your computer. It's like renting an apartment from a landlord. Got it. Exactly. Exactly. And also we're familiar with collectibles, right? Like a, uh, a trinket uh, or a, a David that. Ortiz baseball card, for example, is, sure. is, is a collectible, right? Uh, but especially if it's signed. Mm -hmm. And that rarity has value, right? You know, there probably aren't that many uh, in the world. An NFT is essentially a digital license for a piece of content that says, this license is collectible. So let's say I draw a ridiculous picture, right? Mm-hmm. And I issue an NFT on top of it. If you are a super fan of mine, you might buy a license, which is essentially just authenticated bragging rights to say that you're you're such a fan of mine that you you bought this license and you can show it off to your friends as an example. Or um, one of the more innovative uses I've seen is from uh, Joe Polizzi and, and the folks over at Tilt, where they issue these smart contracts that allow you perpetual entrance to their conferences. So as they have a conference, you show your license uh, to that. And then, you know, you, you, you get into the conference, you don't have to pay any additional money for it because it's essentially just a digital contract. The reason why people are, are creating these, these NFT things is one of the challenges of the digital age is that scarcity is largely gone, right? If I publish the trust insights newsletter, a billion people can read it. We hope we do. You do, um, <clears throat> and so there's no there's no scarcity to it. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to make money off of that, I would have to find some way to make it scarce, right? I can't change the the, the content itself. Right? It's in digital form, and anybody can view it. But I could create, for example, a limited edition, you know, uh, series. Like if you are a painter. You might have the original and then you have a million prints, right, of this of this painting. Mm -hmm. The original is the, the sort of the, the scarce version, whereas the, you know, the print that you can go buy it at, uh, you know, Michael's, uh, for example, not really scarce. It's the same content, right? It looks the same on your wall, mm -hmm. but one is essentially certified as being scarce while the others are not. So it's and that's what an NFT is. Which is essentially the same thing that's been happening for, you know, hundreds of years when you have the original and the reprints, but now they're just taking it digital, which is... Correct. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, that, it's, it's interesting to me that people are making such a big deal out of these collectible NFTs when, you know, it's not a new concept, it's just a new platform. So... Exactly. What I'm still... Okay, so that so an NFT is something that if you're interested in participating, it's not necessarily going to be like cryptocurrency or Bitcoin or blockchain, where eventually that may become the way of currency, for example, transactions, whereas an NFT sounds more like a hobby. Is that correct? Or are you feeling like an NFT will also eventually replace 
how a consumer does everyday living. It won't replace how consumers do everyday living. But I see very strong theoretical potential, particularly for creators. So right now, for example, if you are a musician and you put your music on Spotify, mm-hmm. right, you're going to earn like one penny for every million plays. Right? Um, Spotify takes the lion's share of the money and you get very, very little in return. Uh, same if you're a super popular band on YouTube. right? Your video gets 100 million views. You might get a check for a thousand bucks from YouTube. Um, certainly not enough to live on. The idea of the NFT then says, okay, yeah, the content is available, but we're going to sell, uh, you know, essentially signed copies of our YouTube video, right? Uh, which is what the NFT is effectively is. Everybody can still see the YouTube video, but you as the super fan can buy this digital asset that is a collectible. And then mm-hmm. if you want to, you can resell and trade it and stuff like that. But the band gets to make that asset scarce again it gets to add scarcity to it so that they can earn some additional income on it because right now again your video gets 100 million views you don't get a whole lot of money out of out of google for your for your time and effort and if you're a smaller band you make pretty much nothing right like if your video gets a thousand views to play you may have a thousand true fans unless you've got a patreon or something set up you are not making money on your music right you are not quitting your day job the mechanisms for nfts once they become easy to use and once frankly they start using currencies other than cryptocurrencies to buy them um could be a way for creators to be able to to reintroduce scarcity to their medium and make some money on it so i guess again it's not anything different that hasn't been happening over the past few hundred years it's just it's digital versus you know it in person comic-con for example so like instead of chris penn sitting at a table signing or writing like little intros into his book specifically for you know katie or whatever the other super fans so that then becomes the one unique thing like so let's say you have twenty thousand copies of your physical book and then Mm -hmm. i show up at your table and you write a little inscription that then becomes the only version of that that's not a new concept and that, again, only applies to people who care about being in that super club fan. And so now it's just digital. Exactly. I, I think the book example is a really great example because today, yeah. And this is something that actually I was thinking about during the pandemic when we couldn't go to conferences and couldn't do, you know, book signings and things. Is, yeah, you could issue an NFT um, for people who bought your book that, you know, personally, you could, you could charge a higher fee for it. Like this book comes with a essentially a digital signature on it and you have a digitally signed copy. Now, here's the really big challenge with this, because all the companies in this space like OpenSea and stuff like that are brand new. they have not fixed the decentralization problem, mm-hmm. right? So even though it uses a blockchain, it is still administered by a company. So if OpenSea, poof, vanishes tomorrow and the underlying infrastructure for that blockchain vanishes, your NFT is worth nothing, right? Uh, it physically stops existing. And that is where mm-hmm. it, a big difference is. Like if I vanish tomorrow, my book that I signed for you still exists. It's still a tangible object in your hands that mm-hmm. you can say, well, I have the, the, I have the last signed copy of the late author, Christopher. Right? Ah, you're giving me ideas. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> 
if the transaction processor vanishes, all of the NFTs issued by that on that blockchain are worthless. They're mm -hmm. inaccessible. Um, they point to nothing. And you suddenly have literally nothing to show for it. And until NFTs figure out how to federate their blockchains together, it's basically act you know, as failover for each other. The entire enterprise is one big house of cards. Okay. So to sum up, Web3 <laughs> is a version number. So Web1 was really kind of email. Web2 was really kind of social media. Web3 is all blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFTs. Okay. It's really for content creators to find a way to make their content a little bit more exclusive. Then blockchain is the underlying foundation of this, but that in and of itself is still pretty fragile because there needs to be a lot more agreement and less hoops. And then NFT is essentially uh, a personalized signed copy of a book, but digital. Got it. So as a consumer, as a regular everyday person, unless this is a topic that interests me, there's no action that I need to take. So if I still want to get, you know, uh, a signed poster of my favorite celebrity, I still have to figure out a way to get in touch with that celebrity or whoever runs their fan club. And I can do that digitally or I can do that in person. So that hasn't changed. That's my NFT. The blockchain and the cryptocurrency and stuff is not mainstream. So there's no action for me to take at this time. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment. A lot of people have made and a lot of people have lost a lot of money on it. And you are starting to see more mainstream financial institutions trading in it. For example, PayPal uh, allows you to do some trading in, uh, in cryptocurrencies, a few other places. So you are starting to see people using it as a speculative investment. So not mm -hmm. something that you know, like your mom would use, for example, but folks who are used to betting on like penny stocks or other riskier investments are starting to look at cryptocurrencies and saying, I, can I buy these? Can I arbitrage these? Can I make some money? And there have been some people who have made a lot of money and there have been some people who have lost a lot of money in the space. But that is a that is the more mainstream application of cryptocurrencies right now is as speculations. It's no different than speculating in euros or rubles or yen. Right. Well, and so that's sort of my point is, again, it's if you're interested, then there are you know, things available for you to participate in. It's like the stock market. You know, if you want to invest, if you want to, you know, quote unquote, play the stocks or bet on a sports team, you know, you can do those things. It's, it's to me, it's no different from doing mm -hmm. those things. And so as a consumer, again, it's still all opt in. There's no action for you to take. As a marketer, I think the couple of things that you could think about caring about um, you know, if you decide that your business is going to start accepting Bitcoin or cryptocurrency as a form of payment, that's totally your call. For what it's worth, Trust Insights will not be doing that anytime soon. So please do not try to pay me in, you know, Bitcoins or whatever. So don't even try it. Uh, as a content creator, the thing that sticks out to me is creating that exclusivity. But again, that's not a new concept. And so whether it's a you know, gated newsletter that you have to pay to subscribe for um, or, you know, a personalized piece of content that Chris writes mm -hmm. specifically for you, 
not a new concept, but thinking about it in those terms of creating that exclusivity. So as we create content and put it out on the web, it's just there. Anybody can view it. And so how do we then personalize it a little bit more? So that I think is really the takeaway action for marketers. It is. And the be the single best thing marketers can do to prepare for this stuff, if it does take off and to cover your butt, if it doesn't take off is to build the strength of your brand, because mm -hmm. everything, particularly NFTs is contingent on you having a strong brand. If you have enough people who believe in your brand, who, who like it, who have, you have a great reputation with, then if and when you do start to dabble in NFTs, you will have a ready audience of people who will see value in that collectible, right? If, you know, for example, today, I don't think that there's a, you know, I know there's not enough strength in my brand personally to issue these things because the hoops are too high to jump through. And while people may like the work I do, they don't, they're not such raving fans that they would jump through those hoops. Mm -hmm. So my mission and our mission as a company and our mission as marketers is to build the strength of our brand to create as many rabid fans as possible so that as the barrier to entry goes down, where we'll find a point where that kind of balances out and you'll have those avid people who like i don't care if you write you know stuff on an, on a nap a crayon we will buy it from you like great let me give you this nft then because it's it's di the digital equivalent of a crayon on napkin uh and and you can buy that or you know me reading you the phone book or something like that it, something where it doesn't matter what it is so someone is such a fan that they'll take anything that they can get that's where you want your brand strength to be no matter what you publish people love you so much they'll take anything they can get from you okay let me ask you this one final question and then we can wrap up so the way you're describing it it almost kind of sounds to me like the way that we operate with our services and so we created or chris you coded the algorithm for the Markov chain model that we use for our digital customer journey. And so people, clients can pay for their own version of that, which is the report, the deliverable. How is that any different from an NFT? It's different in that it cannot be resold. It is not a smart contract. So Got it. The idea behind an NFT, again, it's like a baseball card. I can resell a David Ortiz rookie card, right, to mm -hmm. somebody else who's a fan. If you if you have uh, a digital customer journey report for katierobert.com, mm -hmm. that's really not a value to anybody else except you. It has no resale value. Okay, that's helpful. Because as you were describing it, it struck me as, well, it sounds a lot like creating one product and then customizing it for each of the clients. But that makes more sense because you wouldn't necessarily resell the Trust Insights customer journey report for Katie Robert because I can't do anything with it other than look at it as a competitor, for example. Now, right. we Whereas if you have a book of mine that's signed, you can resell that book and that signature on it. Even if it's made out to me, somebody else might see value in that. Exactly. Just because okay. it, it was signed it's by signed. the person. Okay. Right. You know, somebody who's a huge, I don't know, uh, Billie Eilish fan, you know, and Billie Eilish signed their cronut. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> they, an, a legion of rabid fans will still want that thing. Got it. All right. So 
Takeaway number one, as a consumer, unless you're interested in these things, you don't have to participate as of today. Number two, as a marketer, you need to think about how can you create some exclusivity with your content? And number three, as a brand, how can you create such rabid, loyal fans that they will buy any piece of signed Krona that you put out there? So those are your three takeaways. Exactly. And of those four <laughs> marketers, number three is the most important and it's the most universal, right? Mm -hmm. If you've got a strong brand, you can do anything. If you don't have a strong brand, you it's an uphill battle every single day for traditional marketing, like email marketing, for digital stuff, for NFTs, whatever it is. If your brand is not events. strong, exactly. If your brand is not strong, you need to make it strong. Got it. All right. Well, I, I feel like I learned a lot. Um, and I did pay attention the whole time. I promise. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So <laughs> if you have, uh, comments or questions about anything we've talked about today, feel free to stop by our free Slack group that does not require an NFT to enter, uh, oh. over at trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over 2,200 marketers are asking and answering each other's questions every day and wherever it is that you watch or listen to this show. If there's a platform you'd rather have it on uh, that, it do again, does not require any cryptocurrencies to purchase, uh, you can find it at trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.